0: Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. No, I say, I say to the fans that the fans are the fans, and the fans have the right to have their opinions and to have their reaction. Football, everything. I'm so happy, believe me.
1: So i you know it? Robert Levangolsky. Dream team, dream team. Fire. Swoosh. I am flabbergasted and they're here. I wouldn't even let them on the bush after the match. i got a taxi back to Manchester. <laughs> the only time a uh, tennis ball's ever made me angry. What's viral on Twitter for us tonight is tennis balls.
2: These boys are fucking <laughs> mentality giants. It's
1: unbelievable.
0: This is a great football and college produce players and and play that rubbish. Yeah. In August 2020, yeah, I'm taking over and that's the decided. I'm
1: angry, I'm angry, Tony,
2: I have to be honest with you. Stephen Kenny, we've won it. Oh, so go on, go back to Scotland, and get lost. And I'm certainly going to be a part of that. I'm going to manage that. I'm going to make sure we're even better.
0: Hello and welcome to this week's Tree the Back podcast brought to you by BackpageFootball.com. I'm joined this week by Simon Kelly and making his uh, podcast Tree the Back podcast debut here tonight, Declan Hart. How are you, lads? Hello. How's it going? Thanks for coming on, lads. Uh, Declan, I-, I wasn't sure if you'd be able to join or would you get tapped up by uh, Nottingham Forest there at the last second.
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh, I-, I held talks, but uh, they broke down at the last minute. <laughs>
0: You weren't uh, their 29th or 30th sign of the summer
2: and now they're they, they ran out of wage wage budget there so i walked away <laughs> from a deal i think
0: <laughs> yeah i just seen before uh before we came on i think uh michi batchouai is their is their latest signing uh i think that makes it like 19 or 20 new new, new signings this summer which is absolutely madness um but uh i suppose we'll we'll, we'll see if it works and we'll, we'll get into the um Highland, uh, I think they could have fielded fourteen or fifteen players last night against City, and, and Highland still would have scored uh, a bunch of them. Um, so we'll get to to him shortly. I think we'll kick off on uh, Liverpool Newcastle Um and it's, it's it's kind of a weird one. Like it's the first of September, and it feels like Liverpool have already been in and out of crisis mode. Um, obviously, the start uh, didn't go hugely to plan. They've had lots of injuries the Darwin Nunez suspension um, kind of derailed things slightly um, but they've kind of picked things back up and last night last second winner in the circumstances in a kind of a tense battle against Newcastle who uh, had a, kind of every trick in the book trying to, to wind down the clock um, and I see people have been up with their calculators today uh, crunching the numbers and how long Nick Pope took for this kick and that kick and, and how long uh, players were down with cramp and stuff but um one of those kind of sweet last second wins, deckton I think that, you know, even though things haven't gone necessarily well so far this season, it does feel like that might kind of galvanise things going going into, especially Everton at the weekend. Um, I mean, that's the type of fixture that kind of had banana skin all over it if Liverpool were in lacking form. But now it feels like, you know, get a win over that and the system or the season kind of has kind of all systems go and feel about it.
2: Yeah, that feels like a real mood changer because if they go into that Everton game having lost or even drawn, you could have easily seen kind of the narrative switch to, oh, maybe Everton can get something out of this and, you know, uh, strike while the iron is hot and, and pour, uh, you know, even more misery on Liverpool. But now, you know, that's such a, a huge moment. Load of uh, buzz out of that. So, you know, now he now he finds them to actually just go and hammer Everton. Which really feels like uh, would really restore natural order to things at, at Liverpool, especially because Everton have started so poorly. Um, I don't quite think we'll look back on on this as a sliding doors moment for their season, but it certainly feels like a a big moment for you know going into September now and the Champions League starting up the next couple of weeks. It could be significant uh, in the short term, certainly.
1: Yeah, and just to, to add on to that, um, basically, I think I think for Liverpool the the result if it was switched around with last weekend's uh, result it would have been a different narrative as well because i think if they won quite handsomely with the 9-0 then there'd be a lot of pressure on liverpool going into the into the derby on the weekend but the fact that they kind of scrambled for that result and they they really fought hard against the odds as well, really, with, with Newcastle just sitting back and, and time-wasting and, and the kind of narrative driven behind that. I think it really does put them in good stead for this upcoming derby because they'll really have kind of a fire in their belly going into it. With the, you know, if if the 9-0 was was this uh, midweek game, I think there would have been a bit of uh about them and, and and there would have been questions over, well, are they going to, have the have the um the kind of fire in their belly to go into a derby like that, but um yeah, I think just that kind of result in front of a pumped up Anfield crowd and getting the last minute winner, with, especially with like a new player like Carvalho as well, there seems to be a bit of a tide turning with with Liverpool.
0: Yeah, and you just kind of wonder as well with Nunez coming back. Um, I'm not sure if you saw the clip going around of him, um, kind of just standing <laughs> over everyone in, in in the stand and and roaring down at the Newcastle yeah. bench. Uh, F.U. you uh, kind of arms out uh, like this big, dominating figure, um, so see—he's clearly not shy about things. So I do wonder if Klopp will uh, will throw him in at the deep end on, on Saturday morning.
1: Yeah, it's it's hard to know um, whether whether he will or not. Um, I think Liverpool still kind of struggled a bit within the match, and I think bringing back uh, Darwin Nunes into into the starting eleven might just work in their favour, and especially like you could see what well, as you mentioned there, the kind of um, the hot headedness of him, and we all know about that already, but I think that he's so passionate and, and quite aggressive. Um it those tend to do well in, in these sort of derby matches. You know, I know that Everton and, and Liverpool the, the Derby is historically the most red cards <laughs> within the Premier League, but uh I think Darren Nunes will, will learn from his mistake, but he'll he'll bring that kind of fire and passion into the front line and uh definitely definitely bring something new to it.
2: Yeah. And you imagine if he did play, like he'd have to be on his best behavior, right? (laughs) The the thought of him getting sent off again would be too extraordinary for anyone to bear. So, you know, I I think it would be worth starting him if, you know, as long as he's fully fit, you know, I think maybe the three games off has probably harmed him in that sense the most because he was getting into the rhythm of of getting up to full fitness and he's missed, you know, two weeks of action there, which would probably um, could see him fall behind a bit. But I think if Klopp has the confidence that he could play 70 minutes to 90 minutes then he should absolutely throw him in, like I think Liverpool have looked, born aside, the side, I suppose, they've looked at their absolute best when, when he's been on the pitch. You know, even the cameo he had against Fulham, you know, the 20, 30 minutes that he did there, they looked so much better when he was on the pitch than Firmino that, you know, I think he could be just worth throwing on, even with the, the baggage of that uh, recent red card. <laughs>
0: well, another red card would be. Endless me material for the rest of the season yeah, for, 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 for every rival Liverpool fan. Um, D- Dick, interested to get your thoughts on the midfield situation. Um, it's been kind of a weird one. Like Liverpool have a rake of midfielders and a lot of them are injured at the moment. And it feels like going in and out of every game so far this season has been a referendum on the Liverpool ownership. And if things go well... Happy days, you know, you know, a win's a win, you move on. If things don't go well, it's the reaction, at least from some of the online, you know, recaps that I've seen is that, you know, why didn't they sign Jude Bellingham? Why didn't they sign Joe Maney? Like why didn't they sign, you know, whoever to come into the midfield? Clearly there's a gap, clearly there's there's limitations. And I mean I'm of the mindset that, you know, Thiago and Kate are injured, you know, Keda probably coming off the back of his best season at Liverpool, I thought. Um, Thiago is obviously, you know, on his day, absolutely fantastic and, and, and a certain starter in that team, I think. So, you know, just waiting for those guys to come back will make things better. And, you know, when you look at the form of Fabinho, hasn't necessarily been been, been fantastic. But, I mean, it has been kind of a weird one. And, and it's hard to kind of, for me, I've, I've found it difficult to kind of... Um, to kind of you know convey you know it's grand that we need a midfielder and we probably do but at the same time you know it's not the owners fault that you know it probably would have taken an absolute fortune and Dortmund would have probably rejected Bellingham uh considering they already lost Haaland and you know it's not Liverpool's owners fault that Chuameni uh picked Real Madrid over them um no matter how much you know you offer at the end of the day the player uh, clearly fancied Madrid and I think that's what he said at the time So I'm um, interested in getting your thoughts on this whole kind of midfield Liverpool ownership dynamic That kind of sends Liverpool Twitter into into heatwave every game
2: <laughs> Yeah, like I, I agree that it is a, quite, a kind of strange predicament that they're in Because the plan does seem very clear that they want Bellingham next year But that has left them a little short, like Henderson's 32 now, Thiago's in his 30s and always injured as well. Keita, you know, played well last season, but is a, a liability in terms of his fitness too. So they're, they're probably asking a bit too much of these players. Milner, of course, as well, who probably proved last year that he's a bit over the hill at this stage. So they left themselves a little short by not bringing anyone up to now. And now they brought in Archer Mello, it, it looks like. And that that seems like, it, for such a, a well-organized uh, recruitment team there, it feels so weird that they signed a guy who hasn't played hasn't made more than 20 league starts since he moved to Europe, which is, you know, another bad sign that he's not one for uh, staying fit all the time. It, it's just so, in a way, it, it almost feels great that, okay, even the best uh, recruitment strategy in the world is fallible to a panic buy on deadline day, um, but at the same time, it feels very off-kilter for Liverpool to uh, succumbed to this kind of panic buying, and, and I, I'm not convinced that Artur is the is the right player to bring in he does strike me as just, they want to bring a body in. He'll just be someone to yeah. hang around. Um, so, you know, I am a bit concerned there. But, you know, at this point, it's very hard to doubt Liverpool as well when they bring someone in.
1: Yeah, it all it all seems to be very anti-Liverpool in terms of their transfer. Um, You know, and, and I suppose that, as you said, Declan, he, he does seem just kind of like a bit of a, a body just to bring in, just someone who can kind of tick over while... While Liverpool go after Bellingham, you know, in in the summer, um, next year, or you know, potentially January, we don't know. But yeah, Mello, he doesn't seem, or Artori, doesn't seem very convincing to me. I mean, he also might have a bit more of a significant role within Liverpool than we think because as we're saying now he's in he's in just to kind of tick over and to fill a fill a space within that squad but with the injuries that liverpool have in the midfield i think he could quite he could play quite a lot of minutes but he's also quite injury prone himself so it seems weird that liverpool are are kind of banking on or not banking on but bringing in a player to cover their injuries with Quite an injury prone player who doesn't play that much. Um, he he is a good player. There's a there's, you know there's a good player in there somewhere, and the stats don't really lie on him. He's a good passer of the ball, um, but he's he's not very direct. Really, he's 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 quite of a passer around the midfield, whereas Liverpool are quite direct in in their style of play. Um, so it doesn't really add up. But again, I mean, what's the harm in getting another potty in? <laughs> I suppose if there's not much pressure on him to perform. People are quite down on the transfer itself, but. He he might just play a a couple more minutes than than people might think. Hmm.
0: Well, looking at the type of player he is, and 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 reading some of the um, the reaction to his sign, and I've seen people compare him to Thiago and say he's a bit of a, a Thiago light. In that, you know, he's 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 a nice crispy player on the ball. Um, so I it does seem like they're going down the route of of having a guy who's going to be able to come in for Thiago if and when. He's unavailable, and and even Keta. Whereas I would have thought, you know, the the type of player Liverpool would be going after is a kind of an engine, a a, a, a body who could come in for say a Henderson mm-hmm. and kind of go box to box, you know, absolutely empty the tank over the course of ninety minutes. Which is something I feel Liverpool have lacked to a certain extent, especially since um, wynaldum has left. Is a player that is is just all go, and and I think with with Elliot. They have a nice little tidy player with Carvalho as well. seems to be, you know, of similar ilk where, you know, he, he can get on the ball and he can do things. And obviously Tiago, Keita are similar as well. Whereas I don't think there's a replacement for Henderson. And like Dick, you mentioned, he's, he's coming up in age now. And I think he's coming off a season where he played more games than, than anyone else at the club. And, you know... Considering his form so far this season, it is a bit of a concern that you know if he does go down, is there a player that can come in and go box to box and make all these runs and be a kind of a, a kind of a jurassic bunny in the middle of the park uh, and not necessarily have to worry about getting on the ball and, and doing you know tidy stuff and 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 you know creating things when you have other players who are very well capable of that.
2: Yeah, like the, the role that Henderson plays that is so key as well is that he covers a lot of space that Trent kind of leaves open in, in the back, which, you know, we're seeing Trent get exposed more and more now uh, in him having to cover back because Henderson isn't able to do that as, as well as he was. And that is, I think you hit the nail on the head there, that the toll the last season in particular has taken on his body is probably not being factored in enough at Liverpool. So, you know, I, I agree that a, a Henderson replacement or someone who could step in in place of Henderson is someone that they should have been focusing more on. Um, but again, you know, maybe that's just uh, th- that proved too difficult at late a stage in the transfer window for them to realize this. So, um, you know, they've been left between a rock and a hard place there. And I think that their planning for, for Bellingham has left them kind of a bit too static in the market. That they they just so clearly have this plan that this player specifically is going to come in that they haven't really adapted to you know the way the the current squad is and and what their what their needs actually are, um so a bit of bit of lessons learned there for the for the new structure that's in there since Michael Edwards left perhaps,
0: yeah indeed obviously a uh, big shoes to fill there and um uh, it, I suppose you know give them time I suppose and. You know they've obviously put all their eggs in in a in a Jude Bellingham shaped basket, which may or may not come to fruition in a, in a, in the summer's time. Um, and if it doesn't, I imagine t- uh, Liverpool Twitter will uh, will uh, will let them hear all about it. Um, speaking of ex Dortmund players, um, I mean Erling Haaland coming to City. I think everybody knew what he was capable of. You know the stats don't lie. He absolutely shredded the Bundesliga. Uh, he's been trading the Champions League as well. Um, his international record is uh, is pretty incredible. I think he nearly has a, a goal a game for, for Norway. Um, but his start to City, I think, has just... It's <laughs> it's completely and utterly abolished any sense of, of what I thought a goal scorer was capable of. Uh, nine goals in five games, two hat-tricks in a row, including the perfect hat-trick last night against Nottingham Forest. Um, I mean, people are throwing around, you know, things like cheat code and, and, you know, he's a robot and all this kind of stuff, but he actually is. I mean, (laughs) it's just absolutely crazy how good he is. Uh, Like, he's obviously been built in some lab simply to score goals. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Pep Guardiola has brought him in, a guy who's kind of been completely uh, against a a striker's role. I mean, he's done everything he can not to play a striker at times to having the perfect striker. And it's just it's just scary really isn't it
1: yeah it's 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 insane i mean it's almost like he's kind of like an ai system where like he got a hat trick last you know last week and then this week he gets the perfect hat trick because he's just learned <laughs> from that and he's just, he just he just keeps on going but yeah he he's an incredible player and i think something that uh, i've appreciated about him since he joined city is that um He's such an intelligent player, and he, it's it's hard to kind of pinpoint what it is that he does well because from from the naked eye, it just looks like he stands in front of the box and score and taps goals in. But that takes so much intelligence to know where the the ball is going to be placed. And when you when you look at his, um, when you look at his kind of his play and and how he plays, he's always within the middle frame of the goal. He's he's always within that that uh that kind of special place within the box and the you know and the D. And he he seems to read passes so well. Uh, his movement is incredible. His awareness of play is is insane as well. And the the fact that like he can he he looks like he can look ahead of the play and and know where the ball is going to end up. And um, it's just uh, yeah, it's 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 incredible what he can do. He's just such a a monster of a person <laughs> as well. Like the physique obviously adds to it all, but he he is an actual really intelligent player. Um, and one thing that that struck me in the, in the game uh, during the week is that he came off and Kevin De Bruyne came on and I just I couldn't stop laughing at that it's just how how stacked <laughs> that, that city team is that you take Erling Haaland off and and, and bring on Kevin Kevin De Bruyne so yeah it's it's uh, he's going to be a phenomenon and he's he's going to break some records alright um we'll just we'll see how see if he can last uh, last the season but he, he's he's definitely made a good start so i think it's uh, it's going to be a good one for him
2: yeah, like, uh, uh, to a certain extent, he's just frightening to watch. Like, you almost feel bad for the defenders that he's going up against. Like, yeah, Someone uh, who's good at video editing should probably do, like, a compilation of him running and put, like, the Jaws theme music behind it or something. <laughs> just, like, I, I couldn't imagine going against someone who is just a complete freak of nature because he's so tall and so fast and it just looks unnatural for a football player to, to be like that. And then on top of that, he's an amazing finisher, which just feels unfair. Like you know, he just hit the the jackpot and the jeans take. Um, and like the, the the way you're talking about, built out a lab. Like uh, Nor, is this how Norway do their sports washing? As they build, <laughs> they build their uh, <laughs> players in a lab with uh, with the money they've got. So yeah, I that a, a fun one. Perhaps maybe Qatar should look into something like that as well.
0: Yeah, I think Norway have some cracker and athletes in in athletics as well. There could be mm-hmm. some, onto something there. Something in the water, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, like aside from even Haaland, you look at the bench that they had last night. Um, Calvin Phillips must be wondering, like Jesus, how am I ever going to get into this team? But um, uh, Julian Alvarez as well, the guy they signed from 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 River Plate during the summer or, or last January, rather, and he, he's uh, only joined permanently this summer. Looks like an incredible goal scorer as well, and he's probably thinking, you know, I am not going to start ahead of and I am going to be a kind of a periphery player and come in um, every so often, maybe during these midweek games when when other guys need a breather. And it looks like he's a natural goal scorer as well in in a completely different mould. I think he's only uh five foot six or seven, um, and he's a bit of a wing player, but uh, he was scoring some nice goals as well last night.
1: Yeah, it, it just it just shows that the depth they have in that squad, and I think. Um his his goals actually kind of got overshadowed by by holland that the whole media sphere seems to just be looking at uh, erling holland but but alvarez seems to be impressing in his own right as well and i think pep will be delighted with that because he's he seems like more of a pep kind of uh kind of player than Haaland is and i think uh however however well Haaland does and however many goals holland scores he, he doesn't seem like a Pep player so i think <laughs> pep will be more happy when when other players score um, but yeah, he 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 seems like a real talent, and I think even like you know João Cancelo scored an absolute cracker uh, of a goal as well. I think it was their fourth one, and <laughs> I was also laughing yeah. at the, the celebrations afterwards. It was literally just guys just standing up and and, and giving them a nice round of applause. But it was <laughs> didn't seem to be much of a cheer after he just scored the fourth goal at an absolute cracker as well. So yeah, I mean City are an absolute scary prospect this this um this season. There might be a couple of dips in form here and there, but I think that they. They they look very strong for the league, especially with with everyone else kind of um, dipping in quality a bit uh, at the start of the season.
2: Yeah, they're they're on a form contrasting with you know the discussion we just had with Liverpool. Really uh, makes you wonder how they were so close in the title race last year. Almost <laughs> like you, you almost have to go back and and reappreciate the form that Liverpool have had in the last couple of years because they just don't look capable of hitting a hundred points this year. And that's maybe what they need to do. Uh, you know, they've already dropped, what, four or five points. You know, that leaves them wiggle room for nine more uh, in the next 34 games. So, yeah, the City themselves look frightening as well in terms of the title race.
0: And I suppose City, like, their aim is the Champions League. I think that's, that's fair to say. And I think everyone at the club would probably admit it. And yeah. I've listened to... Um, to to second captains, I think we're we're discussing it. Like, How would Pep Guardiola feel about Haaland coming in and City instantly winning the Champions League purely off his back and kind of like not taking what Pep has done uh, into account in in that, you know, Haaland is just so good. He's going to come in, he's going to score 15 Champions League goals and are going to win it at a canter and all of Pep's tactics and and all his (laughs) kind of work over the years is completely diluted because they just (laughs) happened to sign... This unbelievable goal scorer. Um So, like, it will be an interesting one to keep a keep an eye on because, like you said, Simon, like Cancelo scored that absolute screamer, and everyone was like, "Yeah, that you know that was a good goal." But you know, Helen's after scoring a hat trick here. That's, uh, you know that's a nice goal. But ha- you haven't scored nine and five, have you? So, like, will it will it suck a little bit of the enjoyment out of it that Helen is pretty much you know doing this ro- bo- robotic work really to to win all these games?
1: Yeah, I can see. I I have an image of of Pep in my head of of him lifting the Champions League trophy this this season with just tears in his eyes and just a blank look on his face. Like he'll get he'll get what he wants, but at what cost? Really? It's <laughs> just like, um, Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think they 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 look an absolute prospect, and I think I he he seems to be the player that that they need to just um. I wouldn't. I don't want to say get them over the line. I mean, they're they're incredible as they are, and they already were. But he just seems like a kind of missing piece, and and Pep always seems to be trying to. You know, as we say, he he's the overthinker. He tries to kind of walk the ball into the net and 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 create this perfect team. But sometimes you just need a big lad up front. And I think that you know the number nine is becoming like more popular within teams around Europe as well. You you get that kind of that big lad up front is is, is definitely making a comeback. And sometimes you just have to give in to that and say, okay, maybe that's the way to play. Um, I think we can you can do as much uh, around the box as possible. But you, at the end of the day, you need someone to just to pop it into back in the back of the net. And um yeah, he just looks like a, a kind of missing or the last piece of a of a jigsaw puzzle really.
2: And and the more that I see him as well, the more I just think, what were Dormant doing this whole time? Like how <laughs> did how are they nowhere in the Bundesliga? <laughs> like they had this guy, they even a Jaden Sancho together with him for a few months, they've got Jude Bellingham, like they have this amazing wealth of talent and they're like fighting for Champions League places in the Bundesliga, Byron laughing after the bank with their titles. <laughs> like, what is going on over there?
0: Yeah, the the kind of reminds me of that meme. Are we the Farmers League in in uh, yeah. rather than, <laughs> yeah. the Premier League rather than the, the, the Bundesliga? Maybe the Bundesliga is a stronger division all along. Just look at me on a talking show. you
1: didn't win the league for 30 years, right? Know? How's the time? Just
0: look at me on a talking show. Just look at me on a talking show. Quickly, lads, on Chelsea. Um, their form so far this season has been... Very erratic, um, to say the least, and obviously there's been a lot of change uh, with the ownership. Moving on to Todd Bowley and and this, their their transfer strategy as well has been has been very um, kind of kind of like throwing darts at a dartboard. Feels a little bit all over the place. Um, I see they signed Pierre Emerick Aubameyang earlier today. Looks like they're going to add Dennis Zakaria as well uh, from Juventus on loan. Um, but they're leak farming, and it feels like ever since around the hour mark against Spurs after they dominated for that first half. It's all been downhill. Uh Trina lost to Leeds. Um obviously beat Leicester 2-1 with ten men, but but Leicester's form isn't anything to, to write home about. And then losing 2-1 to Southampton on Tuesday night. I do wonder if you were to put together a, a short list for, for the for the next Sack watch uh to, to to follow Scott Parker and I know there's a few names. That uh, that are a little bit higher at the priority list, but uh, he, he's definitely in amongst that maybe top six or seven. You'd imagine feeling a little bit itchy after this uh, after this start.
1: Yeah, I think um, Tuchel is is like that type of manager as well that that might make a situation worse by <laughs> by just being who he is and kind of he he seems to kind of not really get on with boards when he, when he's at the club, and this is the exact type of situation that could flare up um, something like that. So. Yeah, I'd be a bit wary um about Chelsea. I think that Todd Bowley seems to yeah be quite trigger happy with the checkbook and and just seems to want to make signings. He doesn't seem to have any any plan in place for the club, just bring in big names and, and kind of see what happens. Um and that could also, I don't know if that rubs Tuchel up the wrong way, how much say he has with the club, I'm not too sure uh, in terms of signings. But yeah, they looked very they've looked very patchy since they started the season. And I was watching that Spurs game and just just thinking that Chelsea had so much of the ball they had so much possession and they were absolutely dominating spurs they were kind of first to every ball they were they were doing brilliant and playing really well but there seemed to be just something missing they didn't seem to have much of a goal threat and seemed to be lacking in a, in a in execution when it came to goal. so um it was kind of you know, it, it kind of made sense when Spurs grabbed the winner there, or not the winner. It <laughs> seemed like a winner, but uh, when they grabbed the equalizer late on there, it's it seemed like Chelsea kind of crumbled a bit and and haven't really recovered since. So, yeah, I'd be wary about Chelsea. They brought in Aubameyang, which which means that they do have kind of a, a focal point up front and um, that they can kind of bring in and and that might help them slightly. But we all know what happened last last season uh, with Lukaku, so. It, it remains to be seen whether they can kind of pick up the pace a bit and and keep up with the rest of the teams because you know the top four seems to be quite laid out at this point. Uh, it's really early on, but but the form of the teams kind of says says it all. Really, that that who who's going to start in that top four, top five place come the end of the season. So I'd be wary for Chelsea, and they really need to kind of get a game plan together quite quickly, um, and and bef- you know before they 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 start to shy away from that that top four race
2: yeah like it seems a bit mad that uh, if just a couple of months ago there was talk of uh Todd Bowley and thomas sukel hashing out a new contract for him and now we're talking about how he might uh get sacked if things continue and i think it probably <laughs> is more likely that he gets sacked if things do continue this way like they just you know the 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 structure that or the lack of structure i suppose the Bowley is brought in uh in terms of the transfer market it does feel like a Box ticking exercise in many ways, or he's come in, he's promised that he's going to invest a certain amount of money as part of the the deal, and now it's just okay who's the most expensive players we can sign. Like, you know, actually, Gordon for 60 million sounded extremely absurd, except for in the terms that they just need to put money in. Um, It's the only explanation. So, you know, there's a bit of a worry there that the structure at the club isn't really that well designed and there's no real plans for it to be. Um, and Thomas Huka, like I think you're right, he's not a guy that's gonna take this well, and he's gonna clash. Like he, he clashed with Antonio Conte over not looking him in the eyes, and they shook hands. <laughs> so he's definitely a fiery figure. <laughs> uh, so I don't necessarily trust uh, his relationship there. And like the signing of Aubameyang in particular, like he was dreadful uh, at Arsenal by the end of the time there, and like to the point where Arteta just went just cut him like we don't even need to sell him just get his wages out of here we need to get rid of his entire presence um so you know add that into the mix and you know he does have some kind of relationship with Tuchel I don't know particularly how well that went when they were both at Dortmund but I'm a bit concerned that he's just gonna be sitting on the bench like Lukaku did taking up a bunch of wages for two years it doesn't it doesn't strike me as what Chelsea need. and you know, and, and, and there is a real concern there that they don't have a goal scorer. But overall I think the fact that they don't have a replacement for Angulo Kante either is a big concern. Like mm. you talk about where everything was going well, it was up to the first hour against Tottenham and I think it was seventy minutes he'd come off. Uh, you know, maybe I'm reading into it too much, but that seems like a pretty significant moment. Uh, and Kante has really struggled with fitness over the last kind of eighteen months, so I think that should have been their biggest priority in the transfer market this year, and all they've done is sell Billy Gilmore. Um, you know, if they get in Zakaria, I think that's that's not bad. You know, he's decent. He was decent enough at Munching Glad back, but then Max Allegri's come out and said he's not good enough for Juventus. So, you know, is he good enough for Chelsea? <laughs> Time will tell.
0: Yeah, the Aubameyang signing completely baffles me because. Uh, and this kind of goes back to this kind of weird transfer strategy that Chelsea seem to have in general like when you look at some of the say for example the central defenders that they've sold um, over the past couple of years um, like Mark Guay to to, to Palace and and, um, uh, Fikeo Tamori to to Milan and then they have to go ahead and replace those guys um, with maybe you know older arguably less talented central defenders um, than those guys the Aubameyang just doesn't make any sense and you know as you mentioned, like they had Lukaku, they were mad to get get him out of the door. They had Werner, were mad to get him out of the door. Arsenal were mad to get Aubameyang out the gap. Uh, and when they did, it seems to coincide with their with their huge spike in form. Um, sure. So for for Aubameyang to be what appears to be the only target that they had up front, um, aside from Raheem Sterling, who, who's done a, a, I mean, a decent job of of, of filling the gap. He's, he's not a, an out and out goal scorer. Or 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 number nine rather, um, it it does kind of strike back again to what is what is their strategy that um Obamiang is your top target when it comes to deadline day and you're heading into a season where, you know, you've just bounced two strikers that really didn't go to plan. Um and Declan, like you mentioned, you know, Tuchel might have the the, the magic key to unlock Obamiang, but I suppose if you base it on his on his his last um his last spell in the Premier League with Arsenal, it, it, it just ended in, in, in tears, and you'd wonder, you know, what what's he hoping to see different this time?
2: Yeah, I hope Aubameyang at least uh, was able to maintain his house in London <laughs> for his sake. Um, considering he's only just out the door at Arsenal as well, right? So, um, yeah, that 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 really struck Like in terms of uh, if we're talking the most panic by signing of the de- of deadline day, that strikes me is the most. Um, you know you assume Tugel knows what's what, is, what the plan is but uh, looking at it from the outside in I'm definitely raising my eyebrows at it
0: yeah I suppose well by the sound of it he'd be happy to to get out of Dodge over in, in Barcelona um, yeah. to get a, a robbery recently and, and broke his jaw or hurt his jaw in something mm. in, in some fashion so uh, I might be happy to to, to to swap the Bean Street to Bersa for, for London um. We mentioned Arsenal there and, and and I suppose just to speak about them for a moment. Um, top of the league, unbeaten so far uh, with five wins from five. Um, and I mean, I was pretty interested by their transfer business over the course of the summer. I think Gabriel Jesus would probably turn out to be the bargain of the summer, not named Erling Haaland. Um, and, you know, Zinchenko is obviously a good signing uh, and it seems to be a team that's kind of taken shape in Mikel Arteta's mold um but there does seem to be a little bit of uh, a little bit of kind of you know you know people knocking on 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 under their form so far this season i mean they they haven't been uh, playing you know they had fantastic teams they, they beat villa um on wednesday night which which is nothing to write home about fulham bournemouth um I think Leicester and then Palace on the opening day. So they've they've avoided all the big teams. But I think you probably do have to take into consideration the types of wins they're getting, um, especially the last two. I mean, um uh Villa equalised on Wednesday, Arsenal went right ahead and and, and scored a winner. Um they went behind against Fulham um and and, and came back and, and won it as well. So it's it seems a kind of like a different mentality at Arsenal that you know, they're, they're, they're beating the teams they should have or they should be, which is fair enough. But they are beating them in a kind of a manner that would suggest that they are a little bit more steedy in their resolve and they're not kind of uh, wincing at, at, at the first sight of uh, of uh, of confrontation. That they are, you know, they're going behind, they are facing setbacks, but uh, it's not uh, it's not getting in their way and they're, and they're getting those kind of, the, I suppose you want to call them, you know, league winning types of wins. But maybe in this case, it could be kind of title challenging types of wins at this stage of the season
1: yeah they they seem they seem quite gritty and I suppose they're they're probably kicking themselves that they they were filming all or nothing last season and not this season because it's (laughs) a great start but um, yeah like Arsenal seem to have a bit of a backbone about them um, this season and they you know obviously there was a massive disappointment for them for them last season and I think the the group seems quite close they're 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 quite young as well and, and they seem to have each other's back and um, they've got some they've got some good wins, albeit as you said, Kevin, about you know, against not not so great opposition, and it's probably a great time to play all of those teams. But even if you're even if you're against those kind of lesser opponents, the wins will do you do your confidence a world of good, and I think it's a perfect start for that for that team. Um, I would have some questions over the the kind of the experience of the team. Um, I think they 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 have some good leaders within that squad but i think that they it's it's mostly the same team as it was last season and and that proved to be quite disastrous in terms of them kind of failing at the last barrier so i would uh, i would still have some questions over whether they can keep up this form and i'd also have questions over whether what happens when they get their first loss of the of the season or or if they slip up in terms of uh points against an uh, opposition and how they bounce back from that so really the it seems quite harsh because they've they've had such a good start to the season. You know, obviously better than anyone in the league. But there there seems to be quite a lot of skepticism around the team. But I do see why there is that skepticism. It's, they still seem an unknown quantity in terms of how they bounce back. And that's, that really is what is the making of a team for when you're trying to push for top four or even push for the league. I don't think they're going to push for the league, to be honest. But I do think that they're right up in the mix for the top four. Um, so, yeah, it just really depends, I think, on on, on how they bounce back, bounce back from a loss or, or from a kind of a draw that they might have deserved to win um, or if, if something doesn't go their way. Um, but I suppose we'll we'll see in that regard.
2: Yeah, the thing I'm, I'm really interested in with this Arsenal team is how they cope with the extra fixture lists that they now have to contend with. Because last year, I felt like they really benefited from not playing in Europe and then everything seemed to go wrong right at the end last year when they picked up. It was only one or two injuries. They started playing uh, the odd midweek game as the fixtures all piled up in the league. And it felt like that's where everything kind of crumbled. And they've added really well. I think they've added in some pretty smart areas as well. Like Zinchenko can play in midfield or out on the left. Like that's good. That's good versatility that a squad like that really needed. But once they start having to go to, you know, I can't remember where they have to go on the Europa League. But, you know, those kind of midweek games coming in. Playing against fresher sides like uh, Leicester or uh, or an Aston Villa at the weekend just becomes that bit tougher, uh, and I think that's really when we'll start to know a lot more about this about this Arsenal side. But you know they've been really impressive. You know, John Jaws, you always say you can only beat what's put in front of you. So so far they've done that. Uh, they've done it quite well. Like you're right that they they passed a lot of tests, like that Aston Villa game, like that um, win last week against Fulham. And I think the Crystal Palace game was a real test as well because. They went 1-0 one, one up and that played really well okay. for an hour. But then that last half hour, they were under a lot of pressure that I think an Arsenal team of the last couple of years or even last 10 years maybe probably would have conceded an equaliser there and maybe even got on to lose it but they held their nerve and and found a way to get a second goal which killed off the game and and being able to do that like that is a sign that they are improving and and we're starting to really see what Arteta can get out of the squad which is exciting you know it's probably the most exciting uh time for Arsenal in in 10 to 15 years now
0: yeah and our first John Gilesism of the season there I think Dickton course, uh, <laughs> to you um on the Europa League front FC Zurich PSV um, and good old Bodo Glimt in their group. We uh, we know the Bodo Glimt, the the Norwegian side, no pushovers uh, by any means. So um, not the worst group, but a, but a, a tough one indeed. And, and just just the intensity of the fixture list uh, over the next couple of months, like you said, will be a uh, one to contend with. And and I think we've already seen signs of it to a certain extent. Um, Tinchenko was missing during the week. I think Party uh, has missed a couple of games now as well. And, and they are a little bit thin, particularly. Yeah, in that midfield area. Um I think they were attempting to sign Douglas Louise from Villa today. Um and from what I've seen so far it doesn't seem to be going through. It looks like um according to reports, um they're 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 a bit away off in, in their valuations of the player there, but um squad depth a little bit of an issue, um I think uh, definitely one uh that couldn't come back to bite them. Um, over the course of the season, Simon Spurs there. Um, I suppose on the face of it, squad depth doesn't seem to be an issue there. Um, recruited really well again during the summer. Um, with the likes of Richarlison um, Besuma from from Brighton, uh, and these guys weren't even weren't even in the game over the first couple of games of the season. Um, Conte was very much keeping them in his back pocket and and, and kind of giving them a chance to bid in, but. Um, when you look at the squad that Spurs have built, um, and I suppose again, form so far this season, um, a little bit mixed, but uh, but uh, you know, again, you can only beat who's in front of you, and I suppose the draw against West Ham uh, on Wednesday night a little bit of a setback, but uh, considering it was a London derby, you'd probably uh take that uh at this stage of the season, um, um, with the wins that they've had. But are you happy with uh with Spurs so far? Um, I suppose. You know between Richarlison, uh, growing the ire of, of every English media pundit in, 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 in over in Britain, um, it seems to be going well over there,
1: yeah. Yeah, hopefully, like, Richarlison doesn't have to go on, on trial in The Hague for that one, because <laughs> it's, 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 considering the media backlashes, it, it seems to be that way. <laughs> but, um, no, like, Spurs have, have uh, they've had a good start to the season considering the results, um, and Conte's had like he's got great backing in the transfer window as well, and we've brought in some, you know, excellent players. I think it's probably Spurs' best transfer window in a in a long, long time, certainly that I can remember. Um but the the question really is that I think Conte wants his squad to be and his his first team especially to be quite rigid. He wants he wants the same players to play every week, basically, and and it's a very, very much like a merit basis, and they they'll they'll stay in that team uh, for as long as they're playing well. He doesn't like to really rotate that much. But obviously, we're going to see that down the line with the with the fixture list piling up, um, and it's it's been great to have players like Rasharos and come off the bench, you know Basuma as well to shore up that midfield, and to kind of intertwine between uh, even Perisic on the as wing back with with, with Ryan Sessegnon as well, who, who have both been playing quite well. The the only issue for me is that Spurs seem to they've got the results, but it it doesn't seem to have clicked really on the pitch. There seems to be a lack of of something. They look a bit turgid, especially uh, yesterday against West Ham. They just looked off it completely. Um, they managed to get a result there, and it's always hard against West Ham. They do tend to turn up against Spurs, especially at home. So despite it being a, a quite a positive start to the season for, for them, there are definitely some areas that you, you would question, and Conte's need to kind of keep that that team in place is one of them he didn't I think he made one or maybe two substitutions quite late on last night and um, especially with the rotation options that we have it, it seems a bit odd that he would stick to the team that was on the pitch and, and not rotate in someone like Richarlison a bit earlier on or even start him in the game because a player like Son who just hasn't kicked off at all this season ha, has he's really been struggling and, and just doesn't look confident from the goal and Son is quite a streaky player, he goes through these patches where he doesn't score, he gets frustrated with himself and he just kind of needs a break and I think that like you know, Conte could have brought in Richarlison after his kind of heroics against uh, Nottingham Farris last week, he could have brought him in a starting position um, and maybe given Son a rest but he obviously went with the kind of leave him out there until he scores and it just didn't really work I mean the own goal was pretty much Son's goal, he would have got on the end of it in the end but but, but it was an own goal in the end but yeah, there's definitely questions there about Spurs. Um I do think that they will click into place and I, I think that they'll be a really, really good team and very, very they're very, very hard to break down, which is good. Uh defensively they've done really well. Uh but once they get someone like Romero back into the team who's been injured for a couple uh games, he's a big miss and he, he tends to he plays the ball out so well and he's been replaced by Davison Sanchez, who it does quite a quite a good job defensively, but he, he can't play the ball like, like Romero does. He's like an extra midfielder, really. Um, he's just so good when he just roams into the into the midfield area and spreads the ball wide. So um, I think it will click together for Spurs, but it just doesn't seem to be working right now. And they're going into you know a tough run of fixtures, especially with the Champions League coming up. They're playing Fulham on the weekends, and um, it's it's hard to to see what Fulham are going to bring to 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 White Hart Lane. But yeah, we'll, we'll we'll see where it goes. But it's a good enough start for them, and, and I'm happy enough.
2: Yeah, like, uh, I'm, I'm really big on Conte. I think that was, uh, you know, <laughs> pretty much as good of an appointment that, that Tottenham could have made. But their start to the season has been quite strange. Like, they haven't played, like, even some of the best football that they played last season, they haven't really been able to replicate. But they are grinding out results in a, in a very Antonio Conte way, in a way that his Chelsea side did very well that season, uh, that Chelsea won the league. So, like, that's really encouraging. And you're right, like, even with Sun not playing at his best they're still getting results which is again encouraging so you know there's a lot of positive signs there and and it's quite strange to think that both North London sides like there's a lot of positivity around them feels like one of them is uh, you know it's just the natural state of the universe is one of them has to be miserable for the other (laughs) to be really at their best um, So, you know, North London derbies this year should be extra spicy. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, uh, the the thing with Conte, though, is, and similar to Arsenal, is, like, the, the extra fixtures could be quite a concern. Like, you know, he's never been the best manager in Europe. I do think they got a favourable League draw. They got the, the number one seed, Eintracht Frankfurt, which is, I think everyone wanted uh, from that draw. So, you know, <laughs> they should be able to get through that. But then how do they perform the weekends after they play those games? And the group will be um, a big test for them. And it's the, it's the only worry that I really have for them in terms of a title challenge, although maybe City will be too good anyway. Um, but I do, if we're talking in terms of top top four, like Chelsea and, or not Chelsea, Tottenham and Arsenal are the two I'm backing right now. And, and it's the fact that Tottenham are just getting through games. Like that Wolves game in particular, like they didn't play particularly well that first yeah. half. But then, in the second half, they just they found that extra level and they got the goal, and then they saw it out, which was just such a professional Antonio Conte type win, which is the kind of result that you need in in this kind of top four, race, especially when you compare it to Chelsea, who never looked like scoring uh, a second goal against Southampton on Tuesday.
1: Yeah, there's definitely like a, a confidence there that wasn't there before with Spurs. I mean, when I'm watching a game, and there seems to be a common thread as well where. Spurs will kind of start a bit slow they might go a go behind they'll they'll kind of sit back a bit and they, they won't really know what to do with the ball and they'll be kind of you know um and, and on around the middle of the pitch but when it gets to half time there seems to be something that clicks in them and I, it, it's probably obvious that Conte is just having an absolute yeah. mad one in the in the changing room but um there's definitely a confidence there what especially when I'm watching the game I, I always just feel like yeah Spurs will figure this one out. You know, we'll, we'll grind this out and we'll we'll get the win. I'm not. I'm not confident. I'm not sure that we're going to lose this one. You know, so I I do think. um I do think that's that's a great thing to add. It's it's a great you know strength to adds to their bow and 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 it's something that they haven't had before. Um, they might have had it a bit under Pochettino, but you know, Pochettino, it was just like com- it's a completely different team from that. This seems to be the real backbone to this and. and and a real confidence and i think that just spreads around from from conte he just the way he he conducts himself around the training pitch and around the games there there is this kind of caliber to him that that spurs haven't had before um and even with you know what mourinho it, it wasn't like that at all it was it was obviously probably the opposite to be fair but uh yeah with conte there just seems to be this renowned sense of kind of confidence around the club that you know spurs are. W- you know finally one of the big guys and they they're there to stay so depending on how long conte stays uh, that's that's probably the the length of it but we'll see we'll see where it goes and I'm I'm happy enough with with the start of the season
0: welcome to ever Leds it's been a busy enough summer for for irish tenants moving around um, we've seen some Players head to the Premier League, which uh, which is a nice a change of pace. Usually, we're looking further down the the levels at at, at some of uh, the big transfer interests. But it, it's been a relatively quiet uh, deadline day for for Irish guys. Usually, um, there's loan moves and there's 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 lads flying about. Um, I think some, one of the main ones really has been Michael Obafemi who was linked with a move to Burnley to possibly join uh, Josh Josh Cullen um, and Vincent Company there from Swansea. But that just seems to have quietened down. Um, I think the only Irish guy on the move has been Callum Robinson, who's left West Brom for Cardiff, um, which will hopefully see him get a bit more game time there. Um, I suppose one player who hasn't moved and and there doesn't seem to be any talk of it happening today is is Jason Knight. Um, I think that's probably one that you would have put as a a certainty uh, earlier on in the summer, especially after Derby's relegation uh, and their financial issues. You know, he looked like one uh, a prime candidate for to be sold, especially at least uh, at the very least, back into the championship. Um, and as you know, you're looking at his early season form. He looks like he's been played at right back, which is seems you know hugely out of position for him. But uh, he, he seems like the the utmost professional who's been getting on with it. But it is a little bit of a setback for him, maybe for Ireland to to not see him get a, a step back into the championship. Um. You know, you have to admire his his uh, his loyalty to Derby there, I suppose. But I suppose it would be nice to see a player of his calibre who, you know, is getting into the Irish panel and, and, and starting games that he's not, you know, playing at maybe the level that he seems to deserve at this point of his career.
2: Yeah, like he, he was definitely linked with the move back to the championship. I know Birmingham City were keeping an eye on him, but it seemed like there was just a reluctance at Derby to let anyone go because their squad got kind of ripped apart over the last year. Um, so I can kind of see why he's remained there and, and, you know, I, I would have preferred if he went to the championship just to be playing at that higher level. Cause I think he's good enough for it. Um, but I think maybe January, he might get that if he can, if he can perform, perform well over the next six months. Um, but yeah, that, that, that definitely was a, a an unfortunate one. Like obviously everything around Derby has been such a mess for the last year, basically even longer, really. Um, that. You know, you you kinda of want them to just get out of there. <laughs> get 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 safe somewhere else, maybe. Um, but yeah, like the a move to Birmingham would have been a step up of Birmingham themselves and their own issues. There's whole ownership stuff going on there, so it might have been yep. out of the frying pan into the into the fire, whatever that saying is. Um, so um, you know, maybe uh, maybe just staying with Derby for now won't be too bad. You know, Racine, Liam Rossini Sr. does seem to like him, um, manager there now, so you know, as long as he's getting consistent game time, I think maybe that's just the most important part at this stage. Like, uh, you know, that injury this time last year that was yeah. quite unfortunate. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm not too worried about him just yet because he is still like about 21. Um, you know, sometimes you think about these Irish players like, oh, you really needed to get a crack on. your 26 now, but he is still quite young. Um, so, I think that move will come if, eventually if he can keep playing well.
1: Yeah, I'm not. I'm not overly worried on night. I think he. You know he he's such a cog in in that uh, derby machine at the moment, and like he he's so relied upon at that club as well. And I think that can do wonders, especially for a young player to to remain important, especially when a kind of a team has the back against the wall and and are really struggling. Um, if he can bring kind of a balance to that team and, and and become kind of a an influential figure there, then it can it can do really well for his kind of leadership skills and his confidence going forward. So I'm not too disappointed with him staying there obviously I think it's a step below where he should be right now but again Declan as you said he's still really young and he's got he's got a long career to go and I think that the experience that he'll gain at Derby even if it's only until January will will really do him in good stead and um, he he will probably make that move at some point whether that be in January or summer and but I wouldn't be too worried with him he still seems to be quite you know he's in Stephen Kenny's in plans in terms of the international front I don't think he has too much to worry about, but yeah, it is a bit disappointed that he didn't get a move up, but we'll, we'll see how that goes in, in January.
0: And just to finish off then, there's a huge result for the Irish women's team tonight. Uh, a 1-0 win in Tallaght against Finland, which guarantees them at least a playoff um, for the 2023 World Cup down under. Um, didn't see all of the game, but by all accounts, <clears throat> it was far from their their best performance. But I suppose it just shows again the resolve that that Vera Powell has instilled in this team and the belief uh, to just go out and and, and get the result uh, with Lily Egg scoring a, a pretty decent header in the in um, uh, early in the second half to to get them over the line. And um, I saw a tweet there. Um, I think it was Kevin Cooney just saying, you know, five years ago. This Irish team were were changing tracksuits in, 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 in Dublin Airport and, you know, sharing tracksuits with with uh, other panels in, in, in the setup and, and here we are, you know, looking towards a potential World Cup and I suppose, you know, all the goodwill coming out of the Euros during the summer it was a little bit disappointing in retrospect not to be involved somehow. Um but it does feel like, you know, this Irish women's team has has kind of arrived really and and you know i think it was a, it was a record attendance as well until tonight packed house tickets were 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 impossible to come by um it would be fantastic to to get to, to to australia uh next summer and 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 you know you just kind of have to admire how far they've come over the past couple of years and you know getting results now which it was uh which was something that kind of escaped them for a long time you know they weren't really getting these types of results uh when the backs were against the wall but um, in the playoffs now and, and, and onwards and upwards.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's it's just great to see, you know, the, the Ireland women's team come, come and at a point where women's football is kind of at the forefront of everyone's mind. And, and the fact that we can kind of uh, follow along and hopefully if, if, if they, if they get to the, the World Cup or if even if they, when they're, they made, they made a playoff. So it's going to be a massive buzz, no matter what happens. Uh, I think the, the country is going to get behind them. And it's just great that, that it's kind of happening all all the time that, um, you know, with the England women's team and, and, and what the Euros did during this summer, it was just incredible. And the fact that we're selling out Talla Stadium um for for the Ireland team is just it's it's so great and, and just the the feeling around around that team and what Fira Pow has done is is phenomenal and really just can't go can't go unnoticed. Um, it's it's really breaking through and and yeah, absolutely delighted.
2: Yeah, this is a really exciting moment. Like getting getting to a World Cup uh, playoff would be a huge achievement in itself, let alone getting to the World Cup uh, in Australia. So you know that would be um, you know that they got the results tonight. Like shows the progress that they've made. Like you know even uh, at other levels, we've seen Irish sides get to that moment where they need to just get that one last result to get over the line, and then it falls apart for them. So that the women have kind of led by example there. Hopefully, could maybe even help the. Some of the underage sides, or even the men's side, get over the line when their moment uh, hopefully comes down the line. Uh, maybe I'm being too optimistic there, um, but yeah, it's 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 a wonderful moment, and I'm really delighted for all of them.
0: Absolutely, and a, a very happy moment to to sign off this evening. Um, and we'll obviously be covering the playoff if uh, when it's coming. I'm not exactly sure uh, when that fixture is uh, is set for, but they do have one game left in the group, regardless against Slovakia. But uh, onwards and upwards, indeed, for the Irish women's team. So congratulations to them. Declan, Simon, thanks a million for coming on this evening. Thanks very much. Yeah, thanks
2: for having me. Respect, hey respect, you you respect, man.
1: respect. You you respect, man. respect. You you respect man. So we
0: leave it there, so. Okey-doke. Good night and God bless. <laughs> <laughs>